the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Ultimately, the purpose of all the scriptures, the law and the prophets that I came to fulfill is that you know that there's no other way but through me. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I think you could probably take a stab at that, but first I want you to do this. Take your copy of God's Word, however you have it, whether it's a traditional book like this in your hands or whether it's that device, that phone or iPad, something you read God's Word on. Take it in your hand and now lift it up. Would you do that? Everybody that has a copy of God's Word, lift it up. Repeat after me. We don't do this every week, but this is a good thing. Say, this is my Bible. Bible. It's God's perfect Word. I believe it. I I will read it. I will obey its teachings, and I will share its truth. In short, that's the message of Jesus as we continue the Sermon on the Mount today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I just want to say thank you for this day. Thank you for putting breath into my lungs today. I declare what I read in the Psalms early this morning. You are good and you've done good. And that's true even this day. Lord, we've had a wonderful time praising your name. The prayers we've prayed together have touched our hearts. And now we open your word. Perfect and true in the scriptures you tell us that the word pierces to our hearts and really Lord that's what we would pray for that you would move this servant out of the way using him but speaking through him Lord giving us what we need that we we don't yet have teaching us new things today making us different today And so, Lord, that I may not get in the way, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you? And as I've prayed privately, God, I I pray just for your special touch so that these important truths may impact our lives. And most of all, Lord, I pray that today someone would pass from death to life, that someone would experience what it means to know you in a personal way, Jesus, in a powerful way, or that someone would be saved. So would you do this, Lord, for our good and for your glory? And would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen. 
Matthew 5 tells us that Jesus went away with his disciples. He, he went to a mountain there in Tiberias in that Galilee region overlooking the Sea of Galilee. A crowd began to gather there. They had already started to follow Jesus. And, and Matthew tells us that Jesus taught his climbing companions. And he began that message with these words. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who thirst for Justice and hunger for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose heart are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus begins with these blessings. These things that bring fulfillment in life. He's telling them what he would later tell them very specifically. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly and overflowing. And this is the pathway. That word blessing means nourishment or a life-giving sensation. And Jesus was saying, if you want to live this disciple's life, if you want to know the pathway to truly experience life, this is it. It begins with this moment of salvation that can be called justification. It continues as you grow more and more into the image of Christ. It can be called sanctification. And one day it will culminate as you see Jesus face to face in heaven. And we call that glorification. After he gives these blessings, these challenges for how we live, he begins to tell us what to do. And he begins by reminding us that what we do always flows out of who we are. Need I remind you of that today? Identity always precedes activity. Activity, even spiritual activity, void of that spiritual identity does nothing but bring glory to ourselves. So Jesus says, you are light. You are salt. So get out there and make a difference. Season the world around you. Shine in the world around you with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So so last week, I reminded you, Man, in ourselves, the natural us, we're a mess, aren't we? Let me see your hand if you're a mess. Yeah, you are. You should be raising your hand. You're, we're a mess. We're, we're broken people. But, it, but in a moment like this, we've come together. And together, if, if you could just see my view, we, we're creating this beautiful mosaic designed by God. Broken things for His beauty. But he didn't really, he didn't destine us just to come together, right? He wants us to get out into the world. That's what he's saying. You're the salt. You're the light. Let your light shine 
so that others can see your good work, so that the Father in heaven can be glorified. And and so last week we learned there's ways we can do that. We can meet people's needs. We can heal people's hurts. We can share God's word in Jesus' name in such a way everywhere we go every day that our Father in heaven is glorified and the world is different around us. And I know you because <laughs> I've hung out with you all my life, whether or not you specifically, people like you. And we hear a challenge like that and it's like, yes, let's go get them. I'm ready to take on hell with a water pistol. Let's go, pastor. I love it. Amen. And then it sinks in. And we say, but how do we do that? How do we, how do we truly live as salt and light at, at school, at work, where we live, where we play. Jesus begins to answer that. He begins to show us how we do what we think is impossible. And that's where we pick up in verse 17. So let's read the word of the Lord. It says, do not think. And as I read that this week, I thought that would have been a good place to stop, Jesus. But what he's telling us is that he knows that's what gets us into trouble. When we have our wrong thinking, Jesus is beginning to address wrong thinking. He knew his followers would constantly struggle with the balance of what was old and what is new that he represents. What was the law and what is this new way of grace? Man, for 2,000 years, that wrong thinking has been a challenge in the church. But not just on those issues. So we, we could spend all of our time here. Remember, I, Jesus could have just stopped. Do not think. But we won't do that. But let me just challenge you. Are there areas of your life where there's wrong thinking? Go, to, go down the list. Relationally. Um, vocationally. Financially. Spiritually, most of our problems come from wrong thinking. So Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So after his blessed introduction, after this bold summary, you are salt, you are light, Jesus begins to hit us right between the eyes. You really want to understand what this is all about? You really want to get this? Then hear these words. It's another familiar passage out of the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the phrase that was a part of these verses. I've not come to abolish or destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill it. That, that's a common part of this message. It's also the beginning of a way of teaches, teaching that Jesus is going to use that we'll call the antithesis. And in just a moment, he's, he's going to say, you've heard 
that you shouldn't murder. But I'm going to tell you, and then he kind of gives us a different way of looking at it. Or, as he's just said, a different way of thinking. You've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say to you, mm, there's more to the story than that. A different way of thinking. You, you see, this thinking, this way we think is at the core of our faith. That's why the word that describes a turn to Jesus, repentance, is a word that means literally a change of thinking. I think I'm in charge of things. I think I'm the ruler of my own world. I think I'm in charge of my faith. But then I see my sin for what it is. I see God for who he is. I, the word in the Bible is metanoia. In the Greek, I repent. I have a change of mind, a change of will, a change of thinking, and I follow him. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Jesus said, I don't want you to think the wrong way. And so in this case, he begins to tell us how we should think as a follower of Christ. He changes the way we think. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. Why would he say this? Well, obviously, there were some people thinking, Woohoo, Jesus came to abolish the law and the prophets. We don't have to do those things anymore. There's a new way. I want to break this down in just a moment. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four statements. I'm going to explain them. And then I'm going to illustrate this with with a well-known person in Scripture. But first, I want to give you this sermon in a sentence. So if you check out, I hope you won't. But if you do, the one thing you need to walk away with. In a world filled with chaos and confusion, Jesus will always be enough. And the Scriptures will always be sufficient. Let me say that again. It's pretty big. In a world filled with chaos and confusion, Jesus will always be enough and the scriptures will always be sufficient. So what was Jesus saying? He's dealing with an issue we could call continuity. So when I look at the scriptures, is there continuity between the Old Testament, what we call today, and the New Testament that tells us the story of Jesus and how to live our lives in light of Jesus? Already, As Jesus began his ministry, his followers were wondering about that continuity. And it's a question that that still consumes a lot of people in church today. Does all of the scripture apply to me? Or do I just take what I want? I've been in church all my life, and it seems like some people think not all of scripture is inspired. But that they're inspired to spot the spots that are inspired. That's not the way it is. You've got to decide what you think about Scripture in light of what Jesus clearly thought about Scripture. Should you care about the Old Testament? This came to light recently by one of the more well-known pastors in our country. 
His father may be, recently deceased, may be the most well-known pastor right now in the world. His name was Charles Stanley. His son's name is Andy Stanley. And for the last several years, he's really led his congregation to think that, you know, the Old Testament is not that important. That really we should be, he used this phrase, unhitched from the Old Testament and just focus on the New Testament and, and the resurrection of Jesus, because that's what changed things. And he's right in that sense. It's the resurrection of Jesus that changed things, but he's missing a big part of what Jesus said in this greatest sermon ever preached. But apparently some people were saying that even in the early days of Jesus' ministry. So listen again to what he said in response. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what's he talking about? If you have your copy of God's Word, if you open it up in the beginning, it begins with Genesis. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, our Jewish friends refer to that as the Torah, which is the law. In the Torah, in those first five books of the Old Testament, we find the laws that governed the children of Israel, the followers of God. In the Old Testament, we also find some wisdom literature. Wisdom literature like Job or Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And then we find a lot of books that are prophetic. They're written inspired by the Holy Spirit of God by prophets who lived at a certain point in time and they were the mouthpiece of God. They spoke for God. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or or what we call minor prophets when we look them in the Bible, but these were major men of God, people like Micah and Malachi. So what was Jesus saying? He was telling us what he thought about the scriptures. He was saying what we call the Old Testament now, what they would have called simply the scriptures or their Bible, he was saying, it's not out of date. I didn't come for you to throw it away. It still applies. And this is important because I want you to understand that your view of Jesus is directly related to your view of scripture. Let me say that another way. Your view of the of the living Word of God. Jesus is going to be directly related to your view of the written Word of God, the Bible. So let me give you those four statements. The first one is this. Jesus reminds us of the primary person in Scripture. (laughs) Now, sometimes I just like to throw you a a softball. I I try to make it real easy when I ask questions. I really think 100% we can get this right. Uh, Jesus reminds us of the primary person of Scripture. All right, let's get ready, class. Who was the primary person of Scripture? Jesus. Yeah, he's talking about himself. This is a bold statement. This is the kind of thing that would eventually get Jesus nailed to a cross. People did not like the fact that Jesus said, I'm that guy. I'm the one everybody's talking about. I'm the one that the scriptures promised. Now we know that because over and over again in the New Testament, we have this phrase. Listen to this phrase. These things happened in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. 
The New Testament writers say that over and over and over again. These things happened in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So how does Jesus fulfill the scripture? Well, he fulfills it by his life. His very life fulfills the scriptures. And the prophets, the prophets, man, they even told us where Jesus was going to be born. Hundreds of years before he was born there. His death. If you read Isaiah 53, the prophet tells us in passage, we call it the suffering servant. He describes how Jesus is going to die. His resurrection is prophesied. And then his teaching is fulfillment of the law. That's how he fulfills the prophets. How does he fulfill the law? He obeyed every one of the laws. He's the only one who's ever walked here who did. He never sinned. He followed the laws of God. So when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law, he did it perfectly. Everything that was ever said that would happen of Jesus either has happened or it will happen when he returns. So I want you to think about something before we go any further. This book, man, it's not a science book. When it speaks to science, like long before scientists discovered it, the, world talk, the, the word talks about our world being round. Did you know that? So when it speaks of science, it's accurate. It's not a history book. But when it speaks of history, it's accurate. It's not a book about man or woman, even though there are a lot of stories about men and women. This is his story. And it has been from beginning to end. Let me see if I can illustrate it. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our cloud by day and our pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet unlike unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and our lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. Are you guys out there, church? In, in Samuel, he's a trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of our lives. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our day spring from on high. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover of our soul. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. If I were hearing this, I would be getting excited. In Lamentation, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband married to the backsliding bride. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he comes mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our resurrection hope. In Micah, he's born babe in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's the avenger of the Lord's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain open for uncleanliness. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings from Genesis all throughout the Old Testament is the story of Jesus.
He's Abel's sacrifice, Noah's rainbow, Abraham's ram, Isaac's well. He's Jacob's ladder. He's Moses' rod. He's David's sling. He's a bright morning star, the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000, the rose of Sharon. He's the honey in the rock, the desire of the nation. He's my wonderful counselor. He's my everlasting father. He's my mighty God. He's my prince of peace, the government upon which I rest my life. He's the Messiah. He's Jesus, the son of the living God. This is his book. The story was written about him. And it's all for his glory. So Jesus thought it important to remind any who would follow him who the primary person of the scriptures is. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus reminds us of the perfection of scripture. This is the perfect word of God. You can trust the scriptures. If you don't trust the scriptures, you won't use the scripture as the filter through which you look at everything in your life. But if you understand that this is the perfect word of God, you would begin to realize you can't make any decisions in your life without seeing if they line up against the scriptures. And I'm not sure there's any truth that can be more relevant to a parent, to a grandparent, to a school teacher, to a college student than these truths today. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.